Welcome to another edition of Exhale, brought to you by Vitalicraft, a podcast series where we discuss topical information about spirometry and respiratory care. I'm your host, Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager for Vitalicraft US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Hey, I apologize for the gap in new episodes. With the current pandemic, we've had some challenges interviewing guests. But we have a good one today, Dr. Kayla Gerges, a board-certified allergist and immunologist with HCA College Park Family Care. We're going to discuss what his clinic has been like since COVID-19. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Gerges. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I'd like to share my experience with everyone. We continued and remained open the entire time. We had some slowdown, but it wasn't very significant. Uh, my practice, even though I'm the sole provider in, in the allergy clinic, but we are part of HCA. So we were closely monitoring the patient volume over the last two months. And I think we were blessed that we had good patient flow the entire two months. Mm-hmm. We didn't shut down even for one day, which is, I consider- That's fantastic. A, a great achievement. Uh, patients were very understanding. We had some phone calls from patients that were concerned about if we're still seeing patients or not, or if we shut down the clinic or not. And we had to meet as a staff, you know, with the staff and the front office on very regular basis because the message was changing almost sometimes a few times a day in the beginning. Initially from the CDC, followed by recommendation from the task force, uh, followed by recommendations from the NIH and sometimes I would keep an eye on the WHO uh-huh. recommendations. And of course, HCA would send us daily emails and sometimes in the beginning we would get two emails uh, to gown or not, to mask or not, to turn patients away if symptomatic or not. Do you test patients when they come in? Uh, I mean, the with a temperature? policy in the beginning, you know, that if someone has significant symptoms and they call, we would advise them to go to the nearest ER uh, for evaluation and testing because the testing was scarce in the beginning, so it wasn't easy to do. We also made it clear to patients that we have taken several steps to ensure that we provide them with nice, clean environment in the clinic clean regularly we do the antiseptics on all surfaces we change the hours for our allergy clinic so instead of being limited to certain days a week and certain hours of the day that was one of the first things i did is to open up the clinic where patients can come anytime between nine in the morning and six in the afternoon to come receive their allergy shot So this way we avoid any crowding in the clinic or in the waiting area. And we actually, for the first time, 
encourage patients as soon as they get their allergy shots to go in the parking lot. We are on the first floor, so very easy access, and it's the first suite as you enter the building. So we encourage patients to go sit in their cars for 20, the required 20 to 30 minutes, rather than staying in the waiting room. And patients were very, very understanding. Good. And uh, as soon as they get their shots, they go sit in the car. We inform them, of course, if any, if they experience any symptoms, they can come back as soon as they experience symptoms, sure. not wait 20 minutes to inform us. You know? Right. So we've done several steps and we were not sure if patients will try to take advantage of the open hours to receive shots or they'll continue to come in you know, the same hours that they used to come in at. So most patients took advantage of that. And of course, with the stay at home orders, it became easier for patients to come at different times of the day sure. rather than after work or after picking up kids from school. So that helped tremendously. Sure. And also, we're not a very big practice, so it was easier to adhere to the times, you know, for each patient. So I would be... By the time I'm finishing up with a patient, the next patient would be on its on his way in or on her way in. So to minimize the contact between patients, uh, patients sure. at different times of the day. Sure. So that worked really well. We experienced maybe some drop in the last week of April where there was some uncertainty about reopening businesses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so some patients were hesitant to come, mm -hmm. but that didn't last for more than five to seven days where volume dropped maybe by 30%. Mm -hmm. But on the other days we maintained pretty much the same volume. Same, same volume. So, so what are you doing? You've already told us today that Patients, after they have a shot, some of the new routines is that they go out into their car so that you don't have patient congestion here in your practice. What other things are you doing uh, so differently as compared to COVID-19? Of course, now we're sanitizing doorknobs, uh, desks, door handles. You know, we've done the counters, whether it's for nurses or for front office we limited the number of chairs so people don't feel tempted to to sit and wait. Right. And yeah, I noticed you had a sign that said stop yes, at the front and the that's door. That's for patients that are coming for their follow up visits uh -huh. or new patients. We check temperatures and we do certain questions, you know, ask them certain questions before they step into the clinic. Mm -hmm. And if we feel that there is likely or there is a chance that they would be carrying or experiencing some suspicious symptoms, you know, we immediately mask them, we assign them a room, and we limit interactions until I wear the protective equipment in and go into the room and assess them and if they need to be tested. We tested very few patients here. Uh, there are some patients that called the clinic with suspicious symptoms mm -hmm. and we advise them to go to the emergency room to be evaluated sure and out of five or six patients we had uh, three that turned out to be truly positive and they required wow. hospitalization and 
thank God they did not have to come to clinic. Nice. We were very observant of our stock of sanitizers. Right. Because we agreed to continue working, but one of the conditions we as a team agreed to, we said if we ever run of run out of sanitizers or protective equipment that you shut that down. We would have to shut down. Sure. The other condition was if any of us got sick okay then we all agreed that we will all stay and self-quarantine for 14 14 days days. sure so and thankfully the last two months none of us got sick and we've been checking each other's temperatures in the morning before we start work nice so how long do you think this is going to go on i mean is this something that is going to be a normal routine for the next uh, year or two or what do you think i think those precautions should be in place until we have either a vaccine Uh or more therapeutics that patients can take or can be prescribed sure so we haven't achieved either yet but i have great faith in our scientists and our scientific community and I think they're working really hard to come up with a solution whether in a vaccine form or a therapeutics so until then I think we should continue following these precautions sure I think we as medical community and the public we learned a lot in the last two months mm-hmm. and most of what needs to be done is following most of the guidelines that we all know by now people are changing their daily lives the way they shop people are learning how to cough right we all know that we were guilty of some bad hygiene practices you know coughing and, and now we're self-aware and now we're very aware of these changes people are maintaining social distances and for the most part i would say everyone is respecting those i've been to supermarkets and I've been to Costco and I've seen people maintaining good distance and they respect each other's personal space and that's very important and continuing to wear masks in public I think that's also very important washing hands very frequently and not touching the face and most importantly I think not touching the mask yes some people forget that but if you've been wearing the mask for several hours, who knows what's on the surface of the mask. So right. you have to be careful when handling the mask because then that defeats the purpose. If you touch the mask, then your hands are contaminated. That's a good point. And that's why we have to continue washing hands and sanitizing as frequently as possible. Sure. I think the handshaking and the hugs, you know, are, uh, are not going to be with us for, for an extended uh, period of time. Sure which is sign of respect you know right. shaking someone's hand but most people are now accepting that change sure i shared with my wife two or three days ago the comparison between 9 11 when mm-hmm. it happened and the day it happened i told my wife i think the world is going to change mm-hmm. a lot once this sure. this incident and i think COVID-19 is going to change our lives the way we conduct ourselves, you know, in the future. Sure. That will change for years to come. Sure, sure. I sent over um, that independent study that uh, we had done on our filters. 
is that something that when you guys started back up again after COVID-19 was, you know, major concern? I mean, uh, as an allergist, uh, you have to test your patients regularly. And um, for the first time, we really are looking at making sure that we're not passing any other viruses or such. And uh, so how important is uh, the filter situation with your practice and what are you looking at to help the situation? Well, one of the other measures we implemented within two days after it became apparent that we have a problem in the country was we stopped giving any nebulized treatments in the clinic. Of course, there would be situations where we feel that we wish we could still give nebulized treatments, but uh, most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, we managed to do without the nebulizer. Oh, wow. So, and patients were very understanding. Mm -hmm. And because we're trying to avoid, you know, droplets, release of droplets in in the rooms and the intense cleaning that's required after giving, you know, breathing treatment sure so that's for the time being is gone Mm -hmm. the other concern was with performing spirometry we continue to perform spirometry but of course the filters that are used are or the mouthpieces they're one-time use right but it was very comforting and reassuring to know that the filters that are in each mouthpiece can isolate 99.99% per the study. That's pretty uh, reassuring. You know, bacteria <laughs> and viruses. So right. that's good for us to know as frontline healthcare providers, but also good for the patients to know that. Right. That, uh, because sometimes patients would ask questions, is this safe? Right. Uh, is there any risk? If, you know, if they see someone performing spirometry, they would ask, if that would cause any risk for the following patient. And knowing that, I think that would be a good piece of information to share with patients mm-hmm. uh, and with the staff, of course. Uh, we're still trying to figure out, because when we're giving allergen immunotherapy, we perform, we check the peak flow meter for asthmatic patients. Yeah, We have an individual mouthpieces also disposable, but they don't have a filter and as I discussed with you earlier today, we're looking at any products that can replace those those mouthpieces that might contain filters to just ensure that we're doing the best we sure. can to prevent the spread of the disease. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you seen any recent data on any post-COVID patients and anything that is going to be posing a problem in the future? When you do treat patients that maybe have already been exposed and maybe possibly had the uh, symptoms of uh, COVID-19, and what what are your feelings on how you're going to treat those patients? Well, we know how the virus attacks the lungs. Right. And most patients suffer significant hit to their pulmonary system. Right. So, and... But we don't know what the long-term effects are. Uh, or have you been seeing? I have seen I've seen two patients. Remember when I shared with you that I had three patients that were admitted. You know? Yes. So I had two of these patients return to clinic. Okay. Uh, after 
they were released from the hospital and spent time you know, over 10 days at home. Uh-huh. And definitely the data as far as the younger age group, one of those patients was 21 or 22 year old female and she was an athlete. And I was surprised to see that her spirometry volumes were almost identical to her spirometry volumes before and from her last uh, follow-up visit. That's terrific. I was very impressed. I didn't know what to expect when I sure. saw her, especially if it's she was discharged from the hospital two weeks earlier. And I saw another gentleman, he's in his 40s, and he had a slight decline okay. in his pulmonary functions. So I think people who recover, but this is very limited observation. Of course, I'm judging by two patients. Sure. But I think so far the two that I've seen had sustained or close to normal uh, spirometry volumes. Great. So uh, that's very promising. That is promising, yes. yeah, because we don't have a lot of history on exactly. what, what, what what's going to happen to these patients after... Uh, recovering. Uh, they've been on a ventilator. Um, I, was any of these patients on a ventilator at no. all? No. no. So no, no. you don't know what someone on a ventilator versus someone who's not been on a ventilator absolutely. with these symptoms. So so true. we're basically gaining data daily on, and uh, trying to find out, you know, what are the effects and what are the determination of, of what's going to happen after post-COVID-19. So. So are you working with any um, other departments with some of your data or working with anybody within your your health system and helping track a lot of this data or anything like that? Uh, I would say only with my colleagues Uh next door in the family practice side. We share knowledge and we have monthly meetings and during this pandemic we have met maybe two or three times and we as a group we continue to implement what hca as a big organization recommending and then we do individual things as long as it uh, following the same principles of trying to protect the patient and uh, healthcare workers and even you know the administrative staff sure because the administrative staff is in the front, the first line where they encountered the patient and they're not physicians, so they need some guidance and we try to provide them with that guidance so they would be prepared as well. Sure. So uh, we share the knowledge and the experience amongst ourselves and we always receive emails or send emails to each other with an article or an observation from somewhere else and we continue to follow the scientific publications sure to give us extra guidance to protect us and to help the patients as well absolutely absolutely so I, you being a young man i'm sure this is your first pandemic circumstances absolutely and yes. uh so you're learning all the time uh, yes. what is going to happen and what's what research you can get and whatever you can share to other clinics can you tell your colleague out there that may be listening what are some of the mistakes that you did and what are some of the things that you learned from this pandemic so far 
Well, that's a, a complicated question. <laughs> so as far as mistakes, I think. Or, or challenges that you've run across. I mean, I hate Challenges to... are always there. Yeah. Every day, whether yes. there is a pandemic or not. Definitely right. the level of the challenge is significantly higher now because you have to stay up to date in your knowledge. Right. Hour by hour, mm -hmm. I want to say, if the time allows. Sure. So the challenges are, to me, dealing with the patients. There is a lot of anxiety. Most patients have very high level of anxiety these days. Right. And I don't blame them. Uh, it's totally understandable. And they need reassurance. But at the same time, you have to present them with the facts. Right. You cannot sugarcoat the information mm -hmm. and you uh, have to share it with them in very simple terms, uh, terms so they would understand right. and uh, sometimes you get in situations where you're asked so what do you think is going to happen you know two months from now what do you think uh, is going to happen you know six months from now right if i get it am i going to die mm -hmm. those are really tough questions and you just present the information to the best of your knowledge. Right. You have to be honest and sincere with the patient. Mm -hmm. And once they feel that you're comfortable conveying the information, I think that comforts the patient significantly. I'm sure it does. So this is a big challenge these days. Yeah. And you continue to face it. And sometimes you are presented with questions over the phone. Right and patients need, do I come or not? That's so, what I was going to ask you, is it, as it seems that your percentage of patients that you normally see, and we're right in the middle of peak allergy season, uh, have they been hesitant to come in? Very few. One of the oh, things we implemented as soon as this pandemic started or hit the U.S., uh, one of the first things we did was I asked the staff to reschedule patients 75 and older if they're stable and they there is no urgency in seeing them and it's just a simple yearly or six-month follow-up visit. We can refill their medications over the phone and avoid bringing them here. That's good. So because we know that the they're a higher risk, much higher risk. Yeah. So I miss seeing them, but this was done for their own protection. Sure, sure. So we had visits from pharmaceutical representatives. I had to cancel all of that and sure. inform them all that they cannot come to clinic and we're doing most uh, samples and stuff like that. We're doing it by mail uh -huh. and by fax. So we tried to limit the traffic in the clinic as much as possible, and that's definitely a change mm -hmm. uh, and a challenge because we needed to implement those changes as quickly as possible. Right. Also, one of the challenges, and that was in the beginning, you would see different recommendations from different entities. As I mentioned earlier, there is the WHO, mm -hmm. there is the CDC, right. there is the task force. And the public is very smart. Yes. They sense those differences and then they come and ask you. Right. And that was challenging in the beginning, but once the message was unified, that became much easier to address. Sure. So those things are really important in 
it's very important to stay on top of the news. Right. Sometimes patients would surprise you and they know something that just happened this morning and you haven't had a chance to read it. Read on the information, sure. So that that's a challenge yeah. know, these days and you know, the smartphones and smart media and social media, everything spreads within minutes. Very, very quickly. Yes. So that will remain a challenge as long as we're practicing medicine. Have you done any virtual type of clinics, uh, or is that something maybe down the we, line? We've done maybe three or four virtual visits. Okay. Uh, is that because of distance, or because or they were if, feeling if comfortable with it? If a patient feels, if a patient calls and says they prefer not to come, yeah, we offered it to them. Oh, great! But as I mentioned in the beginning, I would say ninety percent of the scheduled patients and the new patients they all kept their appointments okay so i might have had no more than four virtual visits and patients were satisfied with it as well as i am you know uh, or as i was when we performed it and it went really well yeah so had you done any virtual ones before no no so Uh, this is new i've seen it i've seen it when it was in very very early stages Mm-hmm. when maybe in the late 90s yeah and of course we didn't have high-speed internet right. and the picture was very choppy and uh, it was a huge challenge right so but nowadays with the computers and the speed and zoom internet, zoom and other virtual yes. uh, uh, you know so that uh, it definitely mediums. made a huge difference sure it's not as challenging as it was uh, 20 years ago right right and i've noticed that earlier this year even personally for myself uh, my insurance company had started up a virtual program and uh, you know I, I was interested in doing it only for saving time yes and uh, over the weekend or you know, type situation, and you know, for something like uh, the sniffles or some allergy problem, sinus infection or whatever, I you know, I'd feel comfortable of talking to somebody virtually yeah. and such, but never got around to it. And now that you know we're in this situation, I've noticed the insurance company has dropped all the copays for a couple of months yes. to get people interested in this because I think it's going to be something that is going to be maybe down the line. Uh, be more of our regular routine. Absolutely, and we'll we'll see uh, medicine as we used to know it. It's the practice of medicine is going to change significantly. Like everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Travel so, and even meeting with uh, neighbors and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. And I expect maybe similar changes in our American College and American Academy of Allergy and sure. Immunology. You know, I would expect some of the annual meetings might, the format might change. Yeah, we've experienced that too. We attend a lot of conferences and we try to, uh, it's a great platform for us to uh, uh, let people know about our new products or uh, that we are coming out with. And uh, uh, significantly, uh, uh, a good uh, 90% of them have canceled. Uh, 10% of them uh, gone to a virtual format I myself have never attended a virtual conference, but we have one coming up with American uh, Telehealth Association, the ATA, and uh, we thought that would be a great platform because uh, that's in their their wheelhouse, so to speak, when it comes to virtual. I can picture you guys advertising like in YouTube. Yeah. You're watching something on YouTube and then it gets interrupted, you know, with uh, a commercial. Sure, yes. I think uh, 
you might be headed that way too. You Absolutely. Know, you would, uh, between lectures, you know, you stick in a one-minute uh, advertisement or something like that to uh, to simulate what used to be done in a big conference or a big Correct. meeting. Medical conferences, you know, they're they're very conscientious, especially now. You know, they don't want to take the lead and congregate, even though it'd be a great opportunity to share information. Sure. You know, it's not viable right now. I mean, when we've got sports and we've got other events uh, such as graduations and stuff like that, people are, are not congregating. So it's it's safe to do that. And as you said, until they can get a vaccination for this dreaded disease, you know, things are going to be pretty much the mainstay and, um, and will probably continue and probably will never, you know, go back to the way it was. And it might be good, a lot of positive things we're going to get out of it, I'm sure, with cleanliness uh, in, in our facilities, in our airports, in our malls, in our restaurants. I think people are going to be more aware of it. Yes. Great. Well, is there anything else you can share with us that you no. encountered in this? Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my experience. No. And uh, I wish everyone just a... Uh, healthy healthy practices and i pray for everyone that they we all as a nation survive this uh, pandemic and get back to life not exactly as it used to be but as close as possible absolutely i agree with it and i thank you for your time and hopefully this information that we've talked about today uh, may help other colleagues that are out there that are haven't encountered some of these uh, situations or at least relate. And um, and that's why we have this podcast so that uh, we can use it as a resource. So thank you, doctor. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you've been listening to Exhale with Vitalograph. I'm your host, Mark Russell. I've hoped you enjoyed uh, our interview today. Please leave us a review and subscribe for new podcasts. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to you joining me again on Exhale with Vitalograph.